Coming up next on Beyond the Clef, we have Jim Shaw, and he is the uh, director at Willowwood Junior High, which feeds Tom Ball. They have 600 kids in their program. We're going to talk a little bit about what it's like to uh, create a little bit of an atmosphere in there, and then some uh, articles that he's done for the instrumentalist and uh, some other things that he's been doing. Uh, that's all coming up next on Beyond the Clef. Beyond the Clef is presented by Director's Choice. All right, so I'm here with Jim Shaw from Willowwood Junior High. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you. All right, and so, of course, uh, you feed uh, Tomball Memorial. That's correct. Right, okay. And uh, we were just talking before the program with a, a mutual friend of ours, Randy Vaughn, and uh, he was just mentioning that you have this way in your program of, of getting these kids and uh, uh how many kids, let me ask you, do you have in your program? Well, we're a 7-8 campus. Uh, we have two intermediate feeders. They start in the 6th grade. Okay. Um, total, 6 through 8. Right now, we're looking at about 600 students in our That's program. a lot of students. Yeah, it is. Okay, cool. <laughs> and so what is that relationship like with the intermediate feeders? Do you kind of run their beginner program and you're the overseer? I'm kind of the overseer okay, of the program. Yeah, right, um, okay. Me and my two assistant directors, Edgar Jaime and Don Melton, uh, split up the bulk of the beginner classes on both campuses. We also have help from Tabitha Cooper, who's an assistant director at Tomba Memorial, and Chris King teaches percussion on both campuses. And it's kind of a puzzle piece, the way we have to work the schedule. We're all hardly ever in the same place right. at the same time for more than a period or two. But sure. um, we are fortunate that we get to teach our own beginners. Right, so. right. Okay. So um, if you had to, had to lock down on... I'll say a secret to how do you get 600 kids in a program? That's amazing. Um, I think a big thing that we try to do is make sure that we make our, it as much about the music as we can with our kids. Uh, of course, we're teaching fundamentals and we're teaching life lessons and we're teaching them how to play their instruments, but they're there to play music and, and, and be with their friends. So it's kind of finding the balance of having a high standard and getting taught what they want to and also trying to make sure that they're enjoying what they're doing. Uh, I've been there, this will be my 13th year, so a lot of it is maybe word of mouth in the program. We have strong fine arts participation in all of the electives in our district uh, in the fine arts area. The kids get four choices basically in the sixth grade, and we have large schools. Um, so band isn't really stealing you know, from anyone else. I feel like we're just kind of getting our share, and we're fortunate to be in a part of Tomball that's exploding right now. So, Right, okay. And so a couple of years ago, at, uh, you did a clinic classes that captivate yes can you tell me give me a snapshot of what that clinic was about um kind of about um creating a classroom experience for the kids that they hopefully want to come back to and also maximizing your as the teachers uh opportunity to get information across to the kids to make the most use of your time as you can and to uh keep the kids as engaged as possible okay yeah and and when Randy Vaughn, again, as I mentioned him, was talking about uh, your, when he goes into your classroom, he says that it's really uh, a focused environment, to paraphrase what he said, a focused environment, but then you can kind of make the joke and then they get back onto focus. How do you get that focus and how do you set that up from the get-go? Um, well, a lot of it has to do with setting expectations, I think, early in the year and building those in. You know, I think we can fall into the trap. You know, you have that first day of school where a lot of us don't get to play. We just kind of meet the kids, and it's real tempting to just kind of lay down the law and go through every expectation or rule you're going to have for them for the entire year. Um, what I found is a little more effective with that to kind of get to where we want to be with the kids uh, as quickly as possible is to build those routines in 
as we go. So the first day we might go over the general rules we've got on the wall for the principal, you know, the, the, the very broad catch-all type things. But then the things that we, we want to build into rehearsal, instead of, instead of going down the laundry list on the first day, I think it's important you build those in over time and they get a chance to practice them. And, uh, you know, we talk about things like how do we enter the room? Um, on the first day of school, really all we're going to tell them is how we're going to enter the room tomorrow, where you're going to put your stuff, where you need to be at the bell, and we'll go from there. You know, and so then if that doesn't go as well on the first day as we want it to, we might have them practice that a couple times. And um, we don't go on to the next steps, you know, as far as how are we going to change from one piece of music to another? How are we going to sit in the chair? What, when is it appropriate to ask questions until that actually comes up in the rehearsal? Yeah, so when I go through in my program and I, I teach those things, and sometimes you always get to that point where you feel like I'm spending too much time on those events, but really if you think about it, okay, if I could save one minute of my rehearsals for the rest of the year by making this procedure whatever it is now and, and taking 15 minutes of my class to do that, well, that's going to be worth it in the end. Oh, yeah, you're spending 15 minutes in class on one day to save over a hundred minutes later when you think about it. Right. So. Okay, so procedurally um, you have that set up. Now talk to me about um, a month down the road, six months down the road, middle of the year. Um, how do you keep those procedures fresh and how do you keep that focus in your rehearsal? Well the procedures, anytime something sags then I think it's important you address it. And that doesn't mean you have to do it in a negative way. I mean I think it's important that the kids understand why we expect of them what we expect. It's real easy to just profess, but I think you can get them more on board uh, and more on everyone's team if they understand, well, this is why we come in the room the way that we do. This is how much time we're trying to save. Um, as far as what the rehearsal looks like as the year progresses, um, another thing that I kind of fell into over the last 10 years or so is, I'm a big believer, as a lot of us are, in the daily drill, or the warm-up, or the fundamental block, or the or the whatever you want to call it that we all that a lot of us do at the start of class. Um, that's not why the kids are in the door. So you have to constantly find ways to get across those concepts that are so important and so valuable uh, in ways that are going to not become repetitive and where they're not going to check out. So uh, you know we'll have our seven or eight go-to exercises that we want to do, but we'll rotate among those on a daily basis rather than playing the same laundry list of warm-up exercises or fundamentals um, every day. Uh, we try to avoid exercises that duplicate skills, you know, like a, a Remington or a flow study is an interval study, and so is maybe F descending. So those may not be played on the same day. Uh, some days we may do a Remington study in 4-4 four, four time, the next day we might do it in 3-4 time. Um, and I think also trying to find ways in the, to connect the music to those fundamentals and also finding opportunities where possible, uh, maybe instead of using an exercise, teaching something like that you need to address directly through the music you're working on itself. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and, and what I, I find interesting about how doing the different exercises, like you'll do, like you were saying, doing uh, Remington in 4-4 and then in 3-4, um, what I find is if you start to train the kids on changing up whatever the exercise is, then they're more apt to explore and listen to what we're doing later on in musical rehearsals. Yeah, and so when I was doing... Um, or I have a clinician come in and the clinician comes in and says, okay, do this. Sometimes in middle school, 
doing something different, the kids just shut down. Yeah, they're so and locked in to, to what you do. Exactly. And, and they so, also don't they don't want to look stupid. You know, right, right. And so getting to do it something different all the time gives them that flexibility and then it they don't just drone on in the same thing. And I think it's important in the band hall that you create an atmosphere where they're not they shouldn't be afraid to take a chance. And you know, to for to them taking a chance is playing something new and trying to play it out, try to play out to the best of their ability. Um, and they need to know that if they mess up, sure, we want to address that and make it better, but it's going to happen. Right. You know? Yeah. I, I try to tell our kids so much that, especially in the beginning band, you know, failure is okay. You want to fail. Failure means that you're going to learn from that. You exactly. cannot get better. You don't just come out being perfect. You have to fail in order to continue. So don't be scared of playing just out of that. Right. And that's getting harder and harder to break down because of... I mean, they're on social media all the time. You see everyone's best life on social media. So they think all their friends are perfect and they're not. And then they go into class and they're, you know, I think it's, it's been more of a challenge to get them to accept that it's okay. And here, we're going to mess up and it's okay and we're going to learn from it and it's going to get better. Yeah. <laughs> I had the fortune to see uh, Jerry Seinfeld uh, last month uh, on a vacation. and uh, He had this really funny stand-up set where he was just saying, um, nobody wants to actually be on vacation. You, when you go on vacation, what do you do? You post on Instagram to show other people that you're on vacation and you're better than them. And then when you go home, you look at other people's vacations. Right, <laughs> so it's exactly. like that. They, they look at this um, social media. They look at all these people and, and they, like I said, their best life. Well, let's translate that over to instruments or whatever. Or they see someone else and think, oh, they're good. I'm, I'm not good, so I'm not going to try. They see the recording, the best recording, the, the result of the work, right. and not the work right. itself. Yeah, they, they don't see. So how do you train that into your kids? Uh, how do you train their response to, like like my word, failure? How do you train that into them to keep it going and, and get them to succeed? One thing I've been fortunate to teach at the WT Bandcamp for a number of years, and they pair it pair us up with, I mean, I've been fortunate to teach with some incredible teachers and learn, and one was Deborah Haberay, who is teaching in the Dallas area, and uh, one of the first rehearsals we did together, somebody played an arrest or something, and she said, raise your hand if you made that mistake, and of course, the kids are like, and she goes, you are the smartest kid in the room, and she said it completely non-sarcastically, she said, do you know why? Because you just taught yourself not to make that mistake, and to try to, 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 to do those kind of things, to like... Not necessarily say, well, it's okay if you mess up, or it's okay if you don't concentrate, but, hey, it's okay if you try hard and it doesn't quite get there that first time, we'll figure it out, you know, another way. And I, I've, I really bought into that. I thought that was, you know, like a revelation to me almost, right. that, you know, not, who made that mistake, so I can destroy you, but who made that mistake? You are smart because you, you caught that and you understand that you played it wrong, and the first step to fixing it is that, so... Uh, so, give me a snapshot of an average rehearsal for you. Um, of course, it varies throughout the year, but um, you know, as I mentioned, we talk a lot to the kids about how to come in the room, and uh, we want the band hall to be a place where they want to come in. So, of course, we're letting them talk and visit with their friends as they put together, with the caveat that they're going to be in their chair or moving to their chair when the bell rings. Uh, after that's established, we let them warm up on their own. Um, doing things that you know are instrument appropriate uh, things we want we would want to see them doing sitting the way we would like them to sit uh, making the kinds of sounds that of course we're trying to to strive for in band so you know no baby shark or you know anything like that uh, 
talk to the brass players about maybe buzzing for a little bit first and um, long tones, maybe lip slurs or flow studies, woodwinds, uh, long tones, and then maybe some scales or some stuff in their music since they don't need as much time to warm up. Uh, during that time, I'm taking role and also kind of after that walking around, kind of seeing what people are playing, maybe even you know pointing a few things out or telling them they're doing a great job, kind of getting a sense of anticipation, hopefully, for rehearsal. And getting that relationship built up. Yeah, you can connect with those kids. with a program of our size, you take every opportunity you can. I mean, and we're in a position in our school where our kids are involved in everything, much like they are in most places. So we don't necessarily see them a whole lot outside of band hours unless it's sectionals. Right. Uh, so, yeah, building those relationships and, you know, letting them know that we know they're there in a good right. way. Um, after they've kind of warmed up and, and we've, settled and everybody's you know role is taken and housekeeping is done um, we try to keep announcements to a minimum we want to get right into rehearsal so we'll use Google Classroom to kind of push that stuff out after class and we have an advisory class that meets after lunch that is that the top band basically again uh, it's supposed to be kind of a study hall work environment type lab but we can also use that time to pass out music for the next day or give announcements or go over things for concerts and stuff like that um, daily drill, as, as I mentioned, is very important, whether you want to call it daily drill or your fundamental time or your warm-up. Um, we try to vary that as much as possible. During the warm-up, I think uh, one thing that's really been important for me to help them stay engaged is to be off the podium. And, um, you know, proximity, I think, is one of the best teachers we have. You know, kids tend to raise their game if they're not sure where you're going to be. And um, it also just helps me see what's going on behind their stands as far as hand position, posture, embouchure, breathing. Um, and my assistant directors are usually in the room doing that also. So we can cover a lot of ground and, and, and see what a lot of kids are doing and kind of make little tweaks here and there uh, rather than just professing from the podium and, you know, basically running the metronome. Uh, we try to give them as much feedback as we can. We try to keep it quick. Um, a rule I try to adhere to, not always successfully, is you know, 75% of the time we should be playing our instruments and 25% of the time at the rehearsal maybe should be teaching and talking. I always, uh, whenever I go up and watch like the high school marching band, I go up and see uh, the right before halftime the athletic people doing their videos and, and what they do is they cut in the time that and so they can they can insert you know okay this is a play here this is there and then I, what I want to do is take that same video into my rehearsal and have someone back there and be like all right he's talking again he's not talking because I feel like I talk so much have like the alternative cut like you have on the DVD you know yeah. where you've got the rehearsal and then you've got the the alternative like the director's track that you can turn on right yeah we've talked about live tweeting our rehearsals where one of us sits there and comments on what the other person is doing <laughs> so the parents can actually see what's going on um, so we'll warm up and um, you know there's always a plan for what exercise or exercises we're going to do that day and early in the year uh, one thing I've kind of learned that has been effective with our kids and keeping them engaged is you know none of that stuff's going to get perfect on the first day and it's important to see it as a process and not an event. Uh, you know, whether it's concert F or F around the room or a Remington type exercise, you know, it's, it's gonna get as far as it's gonna get that day. Hopefully it gets better, but it doesn't necessarily have to get from level zero to level 100 out of 100 in one day. And recognizing when those diminishing returns are starting to come in and having a plan to go to something else or teach it a different way, I think is really important as far as keeping them engaged in the rehearsal, you know, as far as instead of just, you know, beating a dead horse, right. basically. 
Um, we'll do, da do daily drill stuff, usually for about 15 minutes. Uh, when we move into the music, there's usually, well, there's always a plan as far as, you know, in, in my mind, as far as we're going to hit this piece, we're going to play this part, this is what we want to make better. We'll tell the kids that, you know, today we're going to work on measure 5 to 25 of the march. We're really working, uh, you know, to continue to work on the balance things we've been talking about, low brass, but also uh, we're going to really try to make a goal of we're going to improve the articulation as much as we can today. And those are the things we're going to work on first so that there's like a unified goal. Uh, and as we talk about things, I really try to make myself use we and us a lot and not you're going to do this. Uh, again, I think the sense of community is really important. We have large bands. Since we have so many kids and so few periods to put them in, you know, whereas ideally the top band would be maybe 60, we've got 85, you know, so, uh, and it's 85 7th and 8th graders. So, you know, you want to keep them involved as much as possible, uh, building that sense of community. When we stop, of course we're going to have times where the clarinets are going to need to be heard, you know, worked with for a few minutes, but trying to keep that moving and ask questions of the band or raise your hand when you hear that this has gotten. 20% better and of course they don't know what 20% better is but just the fact that they're having to like listen and be engaged uh, I think it's important when we talk to the kids that we get our uh, as directors of course we it's really easy to bury your eyes in the score and not make that eye contact with the kids you know we all insist that our kids make eye contact with us when we talk to them but a lot of times you can get caught you know you've got your head down in the score uh, you know Randy was very kind to say that my kids are quiet and engaged but also every time I stop to talk to them I try to take a second to make sure that not only are they not talking they're listening you know there there's not a lot of extra noise and motion in the room or you know kids counting the ceiling tiles or you know whatever um, sometimes I'll ask a kid to repeat back to me what I just said randomly and of course at first they're like uh, uh, because they're kids you know right. they'll zone out but it does kind of make everybody else kind of sit up and go oh <laughs> and I'll never blast a kid for that but I'll just say no that's not right why don't you try you know and then when we get to someone that that does it I'll say no what if this had been a chair test you know what if we would have gone what if you wouldn't have gotten it but he would have does he get to go and you know kids are competitive and that that'll grab their attention pretty quickly um, as, as we get closer to our performance during that rehearsal time, it's more important to me that we're playing big chunks with lots of reps and then stop and talk about what needs to get better rather than stopping for every mistake. Um, because I think they need to learn as you get closer to a contest or a performance that if you mess up, you, you don't bail out, you go on, you know, and, and you, you recover by focusing on what comes next. We, we do that in our region etudes, the solos too, because there's so you can tell they, they messed up and they instantly go back and fix yeah, it. Yeah, when they're practicing at home, yeah, yeah. there's a mistake. Well, I got to stop and fix that right now. Uh, and then when we stop after doing those big chunks, not going down a laundry list, here's everything you did wrong, you know, but instead prioritizing and here's one thing we're going to go back and, and address again, or next time we play it, can you focus on this? And then if we have time, we'll pick the second thing or um, a, a way that I've really learned to, to keep my percussionist engaged uh, during that time when you're stopping and working with individual sections uh, or like the brass section. Let me hear everyone on the melody at 25. Uh, and I, I got this from uh, Marcy Zafudo, who taught in the Dallas area, had great bands at Coyle Middle School. Um, unfortunately, she passed away a few years ago. Uh, she basically would tell the percussionists, um, you play unless I tell you not to. 
So if I stop and say, let me hear the trumpets and the flutes in the first strain, if I don't say no percussion, well, the percussion plays too, because you know how it is with percussion, um, they need reps. And also, the care and the feeding of the percussion section dictates that the more you can keep them involved, because of the distance they are from you, and the fact that you usually have really smart kids who get bored very easily, uh, the more you can keep them involved, the, the better off everyone is. So um, I've adopted that wholeheartedly, and you know, there'll, there'll be times where I'll stop and say, oh, percussion, I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you. Right. But I mean, most of the time, the things that you're wanting to hear, the percussion aren't gonna cover that up, and it's also teaching the percussion to listen for those parts. So um, as we get closer to a performance, we're also trying to hit different things from all three or however many pieces we're working on every day, whether that's even just a phrase we play as a part of our warm-up from the slow piece, or we're going to hit this go-to chord in you know, our grade four because it's, it needs to be played every day so that you remember what it's supposed to sound like and feel like. And uh, we'll work in sight reading, and we start sight reading fairly early in the year um, with unison lines and books and things like that, and we'll gradually move out to... Um, maybe things from sightreadingfactory.com, you know, simple multi-part things. Uh, we'll try to sight read some in sectionals occasionally at the end of sectionals. Uh, again, just lines or duets or instrument specific type things. And then as we get into the spring, we'll be, we'll usually start with like, we're triple C, so we read level three. Uh, we'll start with level ones with very little explanation, um, see how they do, get feedback, and that kind of drives at that point, how much will we need to work on sight reading? and how, how much time do we need to devote to it. Um, Sight reading tends to, I feel like in the earlier part of my career, tended to be the, oh, I forgot we have to do this. Yeah, it's Rather really easy. You need to be doing it in September and oh, October. Oh, it's super easy to get consumed with all the other things we do. Paul Rossello was my high school band director at Klein Forest, and um, he would say, sight reading is the greatest gift we can give our kids because it's going to allow them, once they get out of our programs, to go out in the world and not have to have somebody spoon-feed music to them. Uh, so that's another thing that I really took, uh, took, hard of, um, took hold of when I heard him say that. Uh, we try to play a lot of literature throughout the year. Um, we, have, so we have a fall concert, a winter concert, a midwinter concert, contest, and then I don't care if we have two days left between contests and the spring concert, we're going to play something different. You know, even if it's way easier than what we did you know just spent two months on just so that they get exposure to as much literature as they can um, Gary Garner who we talked about uh, just has come up with an amazing number of duets and quartets and trios at all different grade levels and he's uh, been experimenting with this and it's something we're going to try this year during that advisory time uh, of um, you know the kids can pick their own group they get the music and they go teach themselves and each other and you know they're eight to sixteen measures long, and they're varying difficulty from quarter notes and eighth notes all the way up to like really hard rhythmic sixteenths, triplets, six eight time, and all kinds of stuff. And uh, he taught a classic camp that my son was in at the WT camp, and basically the kids didn't know each other at all at the beginning of the two weeks, and that's what they did for two weeks, and then demonstrated it for the directors at the end of camp. And I mean the kids, it was very powerful what they were saying as far as. You know, them having to teach each other and themselves, they felt like they learned 10 times faster than what they do when they have to hear stuff from us. Where can I find some, find those? Uh, I think he was pretty um, clear to us at the camp that if, if someone were to email him, he'd be happy to share it with them via Dropbox. And I don't have his email address, you know, with me, but, but um, 
he should be fairly easy to contact. So many of us know him and, and right. know how to get a hold of him. That, but uh, I mean, the hundreds of, of different things and different combinations for the kids to to get into. And my favorite thing, of course, is when we get done with rehearsal is having to kick kids out of the band hall. You know, if they're sitting there and we just spent an hour on, I don't know, symphonic dance and they don't want to leave to go to lunch because they still want to play it, you know, or, or things like that. So, um, but in a nutshell, that's kind of how, how we put things together. During the rehearsal, uh, we're fortunate to have a wealth of team teaching from Tomball Memorial. So there'll be a lot of days where even if I want to keep the band together, and I'm kind of selfish about that, I love doing full band, uh, the assistant directors and the high school directors are either spread out around the room or they're pulling individuals for mini lessons on region music or help on individual parts. Or if a kid has a big solo on something, they, on one of our concert selections, they might pull that kid out and listen to him or her play through it every day for two minutes and pump them up and give them positive feedback and also help them just generally get better at it. So. Well, in addition to what you've been doing uh, at Willowwood, you also have been a, a column writer for The Instrumentalist. Uh, do you have a couple articles there? I think I, I, I haven't counted, but I, I think I've done about 15. Great. Uh, it's been a few years. After a while, you kind of run out of stuff to say or you <laughs> run out of things that you feel are original enough that you want to have somebody credit you to in a magazine like that. But Can, can you give been, us an example of one that you think the uh, listeners would really enjoy? Um, one that I got a lot of feedback on is the one that I wrote, uh, Classes That Captivate. That's kind of yeah. uh, what we've been talking about in terms of pacing a rehearsal and, and getting the kids to be engaged. Um, I got a really good response from that. I got a really nice email, I remember, from Tim Lotzenheiser on that one that is framed on my off, in my office. <laughs> um, I did a, another thing I'm really proud of. I did a really extensive interview with Gary Garner, who's the retired band director from West Texas A&M University. And um, done some things on, you know, placing beginners on instruments and literature selection. And I mean, it's been kind of a hodgepodge of, of, of different things. And, and there's no rhyme or reason to it. If sure. I'm sitting there and I think, oh, that that might make for something that I can actually talk about and not sound like I made it up, you know, then then I'll write it. Uh, one that also got a good um, response was one on getting kids to watch as a conductor and some conduct things that we can do as conductors to uh, make sure our kids are looking up and responding right. to us rather than us just waving our arms. Right. Okay, great. So people can find that at the uh, Instrumentalist website. I'm sure they can go back and uh, find that in the archives. I would think so. Yeah. 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 And then also, um, you, you've done some work with uh, DirectorsTalkShop.com. What is that? That's a website, uh, kind of a web community at this point, put on by uh, Tamri Sager, who's a uh, I believe a band director somewhere in the Austin Dripping Springs area and her husband and it's grown from her um, wanting to be able to get information out to band directors and share kind of like in the old school you know back in the 70s which believe it or not it was before my time um, where they the band directors would a lot of times would meet on the weekends in these music store back rooms in West Texas and talk band and um, some of the articles there have kind of been derived from things I've done for The Instrumentalist. She's got a lot of things on there from a lot of different contributors. Um, she's hosted workshops. She just got done hosting uh, one in conjunction with the West Texas Band Camp. There were about 15 directors from around the country who came in and did in, uh, professional development and played in the director's band at the camp. And, and uh, it's been very, it's been neat to be a part of that. Cool. Well, uh, West Texas, boy, just like me, 
that's that's where I'm teaching now. So, and actually, we have a mutual friend that is a cousin of yours that was in your band, Marcy. Marcy, yeah, yeah Marcy yeah, Miller. Yeah. So it was funny. She texted me yesterday. She said, "Say hi." <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on our program. Of course, people can find out more from the instrumentalist and, of course, directorstalkshop.com. Right. And thank you so much for being on All the right, program. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Beyond the Clef. For more great content, subscribe on our website at beyondthecleft.com. And be sure to follow us on YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Facebook.